are excited to celebrate baptism and all those things. And now we're going to start Pastor 411. It's our last series. I'm going to invite Sean Cullen up to the stage or to the platform to talk with me this morning about some questions. Have we enjoyed Pastor 411? Okay, there we go. So maybe we'll give Sean some really hard questions today that he doesn't know about. Uh, as a, just to start off real fast, we wanted to give you an update, and it's kind of our first question. Um, if I turn this thing on, hold on. There we go. Um, our first question is, uh, as a collective whole, what are the top spiritual gifts at West Meadows? And uh, really, you, you had taken that uh, spiritual gifts test recently, and so we just wanted to share those results with you. And uh, God has given each of you unique gifts. Our first one um, that God has uh, blessed us with, which is our gift, and you'll see all three up there, is uh, the first one is giving. So those of you with this gift uh, share the love for others, your overflow of blessings that God has given you. You're very hospitable. You seek out opportunities and ways to help others. You're grateful when someone shares a need, and you love to meet those needs. So for those of you with this gift and for as a collective whole, that's a big one for us. Um, there are always needs to be met in our church and in our community, uh, whether it's uh, through outreach or serving or whether we can come alongside someone. Um, if you want more specifics, we'd be happy to kind of share those needs with you and uh, walk with you in uh, learning that spiritual gift. The second one, which is no surprise, is serving. Uh, those with this gift do not seek recognition or position or the spotlight. They just love to help out. They are content with serving in the background, knowing that their contribution will bless the church, display the love of Christ to the world, and bring glory to God. So if you have this gift, or maybe you found out this was your gift and you haven't yet used it, uh, we can always use people on our welcome teams, our coffee teams, our tech team upstairs, our maintenance team, which doesn't always have to be on Tuesdays as well. Um, so even our hospitality or potluck team would love for you to join that as well. And then third was apostleship. Um, and this one is, you're typically entrepreneurial. You might want to start a new ministry. You might, God might be telling you, um, it's time to lead a ministry or do a community outreach kind of a thing. So if that's the case, we'd love for you to come talk to us and we'd love to plug you in. There's lots of opportunities in that way. So whether these are your gifts, these are the top gifts of, for us as a church, but uh, if you had other gifts on your test or don't know what your gifts are, we'd love for you to continue to take that test. Um, we'll have those available at Connections, and we'll put a link in the weekly this week um, as well. And we'd love to just plug you in, help you figure out where God has you, what God has gifted you to do. So, And we really see that, and I encourage you to use your gifts as uh, it says in Romans 12, 6 to 8. Uh, we have different gifts according to grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is show mercy, do it cheerfully. So uh, as our kind of first question, I pray for you. Uh, to find your, your place at West Meadows as you serve this morning. So this morning as we dive into the rest of our questions, Sean Cullen is with us. I would normally introduce him 
or in the past I would introduce him as the National Director to Power to Change uh, students, but today I'm going to introduce him as my friend Sean and uh, my Arrow mentor. Um, do you want to kind of give us an update on why I'm not giving you a title? Yeah, I, I as you know, for the last eight years I, I have uh, served as the National Director of the Student Ministry of Power to Change. And uh, in April, I sensed, well, actually, over the course of this year, I've sensed the Lord leading me uh, to, to something new. And I'm not entirely yet sure what that new thing is. And, uh, but in April, it came to a place where I decided to take a step of faith and uh, resigned as a national director of, of the student ministry. And um, Power to Change has graciously given me four months of paid leave here to, uh, to consider what is next. And so I get to spend some time Lord, with my family. Um, the previous role kept me on the road. Canada's a big country. <laughs> could never figure out how to shrink it. And, um, and so uh, s leading staff across the country, uh, ministry across the country, um, kept me on the road about 100 nights a year. And so it's, it's going to be nice <laughs> to be home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, I, was, I was somewhat weary of that, but also felt like the, the changes that I'd sought to make in Power to Change had taken root. And so I feel like I leave the ministry in a good place, good financial place, a good cultural place where ministry is being fruitful amongst the university students of Canada. And I'm thankful for that and um, grieve some of the relationships because I love the people I work with. And, uh, but I look forward to what the Lord has in store for me. So come August, I'll start discerning what that is. For now, I'm just resting. Amen. Randy's teaching me how to paint. Woohoo! Kim's going to teach me how to shoot. I don't know there if those go. things go together, but... We'll so out. you're learning your spiritual yeah. gifts. <laughs> um, that's great. Um, so one question that kind of has come up that uh, I thought you were perfect for is, you know, you've worked with young people for 20 years, right? So um, how does society and more specifically young people today engage in faith? You know, traditionally it might have been somebody invited them to church or um, – Maybe it was culturally acceptable, like it's what you do. Your parents went to church, so uh, you should go to church. Um, what does it look like now in today's landscape? Well, certainly the landscape has changed. And I think to say that the world has changed in the last 20 years is a little bit like saying the sun is shining today. It's just everyone is fairly evident. It's evident to everyone that the world has changed. And I think in particular, um, as I thought about this question. Um, the 20 years ago, if I walked onto campus and sat down with a, a student and said, hey, I'm a Christian, would you like to talk about issues of faith? Mm -hmm. They would generally look at me and say, well, this guy's probably a little weird. Uh, <laughs> he probably believes some strange things that keep him from having fun. And, uh, but he's probably a nice guy and he's probably worth talking to. And so there'd be an openness to that 20, 30 years ago, um, 20 years ago when I started in student ministry. Now what we find, uh, what I've found, uh, you walk on a campus, same cafeteria, <laughs> same, uh, same bad food, or the food's same gotten better? <laughs> the food's gotten healthier, okay. I think. That's been another change. <laughs> but the, um, you sit with the, the, the student and um, say, I'm a Christian. Would you like to talk about things of faith? The, the posture has changed, and that posture has changed such that now they look at me and they're like, okay, 
this fellow is probably a bit weird, so that stayed the same. <laughs> he believes some strange things that keep him from having fun. That stays the same. But rather than assuming that I'm a nice guy, they now assume that you're the reason why the world is, mm-hmm. is a mess. <laughs> In a sense okay. that uh, there's an assumption, and they, they get this from, from media and from uh, just even often from their own experiences, is that the church is more concerned about keeping um, kind of moralistic power than it is about um, helping people feel loved. And, and mm-hmm. so there's this sense where uh, in a world where social harmony is at the very, like, very top of everyone's value list, mm-hmm. the church is seen as a disruptor of social harmon- harmony, mm-hmm. uh, that we're often a political force that's out to, to try and get everyone to bend to our moral code. And so there's this sense that, the, 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 that non-Christians, those who are not familiar with the Christian faith, look at the church and look at those who identify themselves as Christians as kind of the bad guys, those who had power and messed it up, and now they're here to fix it. The, it it's, it's the, re- the Christians are the reason why um, you know, uh, women have had to fight for equality and LGBTQ has had to fight for inclusion and, and, and why ethnic issues are so rampant in our, in our culture. And, and they, they kind of pin that on, on, on the church. Um, I'd say largely unfairly, but not completely. There have been some missteps I think the church has taken along the way, and it's good to own that. But that's, that would be one. The, the trust gap has just widened. So the non-Christians don't trust Christians. So what does that mean? Like, explain the trust gap. More. Well, that, that's, yeah, they just don't, they don't, they don't start from a posture of you're, you're a trust, like okay. I would trust you. They start from a posture of, I don't trust you. Okay. I, 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 I'm not sure I even like you. <laughs> and so how do you, you how do you navigate that? How do we close that trust gap? Like, what what bridges that trust gap? Well, the, the, um, I mean, to that, how do you bridge a trust gap in any part of your life? And 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 one of them is to 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 listen, to listen carefully. Um, but um, maybe I'll. I'll get to that um, and say that there's there's probably three things I've noticed that's changed, and the trust gap is by far the, one of the biggest, the biggest hurdles in order to engage people in conversation about faith. But the second one is the values have changed, and so uh, the way people decide uh, how, to, how to change their life has flipped. So maybe one of the easiest ways to see this is for those of you who, who – um, would have been watching car ads in the fifties and sixties, you know. If you ever, and for those of you too young to have seen that, just YouTube like nineteen sixties car ad, <laughs> and literally every single one of them is a car on a round table turning, with a long list of, of features of the car, with some guy just reading them off. These are all the features of this particular car, and the information is just presented to you. And that information was actually useful for people making decisions. It actually moved them, you know. To, to, to make a decision to buy the car. Now you look at car ads, and what are they? There's, there's no information really in them. <laughs> They're almost entirely <laughs> uh, pictures of sweeping landscapes, uh, and, and they sell you the idea of safety, if it's a minivan, or the idea of adventure, if it's an SF- SUV, or, or they, they sell you the experience of uh, cool, if it's like a downtown car, right? And so they're selling you the experience because they know that's what's moving this generation to to make buying decisions it's the same in our own life 
that, that we are so overwhelmed by information that someone can give you some really true information that should change your life tomorrow, and you'll probably be like, eh, I don't know. You just, you won't, you won't internalize it. But if someone invited you to an experience that was unlike anything you'd ever had before, you'd be like, well, this is, this is interesting. I'm, I'm curious. Maybe I want more of this. And so where once the path to life change was information followed by experience followed by life change, now it's experience followed by information followed by life change. And so it's not that information is no longer important. It's just it's not the leading it's not how you lead into the conversation. Can I? And, and Christianity is good news. Yeah. Uh, evangelism is good news. It's it's the sharing of good news, which is information about Jesus, his death, and resurrection. And so, uh, evangelism has increasingly become uh, an invitation into experience. This is why even today we've heard about the effectiveness of of things like Alpha, is because Nikki Gumbel figured out that experience was key to the internalization of information and then ultimately life changes because that experience of community around the table, um, uh, of, of the food, and the, all those pieces of alpha that are so experiential, so tangible, so so there, present, uh, is, is what has made alpha so effective in this generation. And I think there's more that we need to be doing as a church because not only is Christianity good news, not only is it information, it is an experience. We serve a living God, <laughs> and, and he actually comes into our life and, and changes it. And then third, I'd just say the questions have changed. Mm. So people aren't generally asking the question. Where do I go when I die? Something like that? Yeah, or, or like what's true? Okay. Is Jesus really God? That's not, that's not the first question. Okay. So 30 years ago, they might have been, is Jesus really God? Certainly 40 or 50 years ago in the 70s, that was kind of the, one of the main questions that the church was wrestling with in conversation with the world. Is Jesus divine? Is he God? Or was he just a moral teacher? Um, now, you could talk to a student and you could convince them fairly quickly that Jesus is God, that the Bible is true. Um, and they'll be like, I, I'll grant you those things. So what? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> How does it change my life? What what experience does that information, what relevance does that have to my life? Um, and so the questions now are like, who am I? Uh, what purpose does my life serve? Wh where am I going? Does anyone even pay attention? Uh, am I just a, a random collection of molecules? Or am I made for something more? Who loves me? Uh, why do they love me? These are the questions that are being asked. And um, again, I think Christianity holds up in those spaces. They're just not the apologetic questions we've generally focused on over the last 30 years uh, to the same extent. So that's what I would say in, in the non-Christian world has mostly changed. I don't know if you if you want me to touch on the Christian world too. Sure. Tell us to what, where Christians are. Well, in the Christian world, how do we engage in this even, right? Like um, if we were taught the four spiritual laws, which is power to change idea campus crusade, campus crusade. Um, you know what what does that mean for us how are we to engage in society today right like most of us you know most people work in a secular workplace and have conversations and um, you know you can't just bring you 
you're not just going to hand the track at the lunch counter, right? Or at the, in the lunchroom. Yeah, I, and I think that's... I mean, if you think about 1950s America, um, which I wasn't around <laughs> then, um, but World War II had just happened, and you had all these young people on campus, and, and this young man named Bill Bright started this ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ, and he walked on campus, and he sought to connect uh, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, with these, these students. And 80% of Americans at that point uh, were highly churched, um, they believed, you know, if you think about the four spiritual laws, there's four of them, right? One, that God exists and that he created you. Two, that uh, man is sinful. And three, that Jesus died and rose again, uh, that he loves you and that he died and rose again to deal with the issue of sin, to bring you into relationship. And fourth, that you have to make an individual decision. You actually have to decide, as we even witnessed this morning. We, we have to make a decision. We have to take a step. And... Um, uh, what Bill Bright discovered was that most people he talked to agreed that God existed. Secondly, they agreed that man was sinful. <laughs> They'd just come out of World War II. They were very acquainted with the evil of man. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they knew man was sinful. Third, they knew that uh, Jesus existed. They were Americans and they were Christians by culture. So Jesus is God, sure. We're not we're not Muslims, so we're Christians, right? And um, and so the only f uh, the only law they didn't agree with or didn't get was that they had to make an individual decision because they thought they were Christians because they were American okay. or because their parents took them to church. And so th that was the revolutionary part of the four spiritual laws was this call to make an individual decision. But the first three all connected to where people were at largely. Now, if you walked on the campus, here's the question. Or if you walked into your uh, workplace, mm -hmm. what would, what would most, what three points about your faith would most people agree with? <laughs> they would just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And what, what's a, a key point that they really don't understand? And I think that's, that's a much bigger challenge for us today. One, because we're a lot more diversified. Our culture is a lot more diverse so to pin that on anybody so I, I don't know I don't have the answer to that except that it's a lot more individualized it's a lot more one-on-one um, -on -one and, and it's trying to to establish that sense of trust and um, uh, and lots I think that's listening lots of listening uh, listening to their story learning about them who they are that kind of thing yeah. even well before you would even have a gospel well, and even to see that as part of the gospel conversation, that in listening to them, you, you're listening to them and you're listening to the Lord at the same time. And you're, you're asking questions about their life, about what they believe, about why they believe that, about you know, what brings them joy, what gets them excited, why do they get excited about that thing, what, what did they like about the movie they just watched, why did they like it? I mean, they're really the old questions you learned in elementary school, like <laughs> what, why, how did you come to that? Like, just use them. <laughs> you, you actually get curious about somebody, you get to know them, and you start to, s you start to formulate an understanding of what they believe and, and where it both uh, aligns with the Christian faith and where it, where it contradicts. And then you have things to, to delve into, but at a pace that, and as, 
the pace in a, in a way that's really connected to them. So what's the difference in, like, let's just take, well, we talked about how Bill Bright started in the U.S., and U.S. culture tends to be a little lagging behind Canadian culture, put it that way. Um, so is there a difference between interacting in those two cultures, or is it kind of both still very relational well, and very experiential? I think it's very similar, particularly in the younger generation. Um, there's probably more similarities in the younger generation across the border. Um, but then again, um, the U.S. is a lot more heterogeneous in its culture. So comparing Portland to Atlanta is not real possible. And you can see that in the news, like yeah. even this week, right? Hollywood versus Georgia. Yeah. It's the U.S. is very diverse. Canada is a little bit more homogeneous in its... In its um, in its culture, even though we're very multi-ethnic and diverse that way. There's a there's a shared value system in Canada that's mm -hmm. more consistent. Okay. Um, the difference between Alberta and Quebec is still there, <laughs> but it's not quite as much as the difference between Texas and New York. So Fair that's enough. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. And um, yeah, I don't know if that answers okay. that question. We're a little off script, but that's yeah. okay. We're just having uh, a conversation. You had uh, shared uh, First Thessalonians with me week when we were talking about this. Can you kind of just tell me why that's kind of the, the verse that... Uh, that I picked in this? Yeah. yeah. I think as we seek to engage um, the community, non-Christians around us, people at work, and we have to recognize that that trust gap is there and we need to listen. We also, uh, well, I'll say this very briefly. We've identified uh, uh, a five-stage threshold that people go through on their journey towards Jesus. Mm. The first is they always establish trust with somebody, okay. with a Christian. Second, they become curious about Jesus. Third, they become open to change. They start thinking, well, maybe what you believe is better than what I believe. So, you know, we have this mission statement, life is better with Jesus. So they're like, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I don't know. But at some point, they become open to change and they start thinking, well, maybe life is better with Jesus than what I'm doing. And then third, they, they become, s they, they start to seek God and they actively are like, okay, God, if, if you are Jesus, show me. And then finally they enter the kingdom. They take that, that step. And so where you meet somebody in that journey may, should determine how you interact with them. So someone who's just learning to trust Christians and who actually doesn't know very many Christians and who generally thinks Christians are the bad guys, you're not going to come out and just say, you know, you need to change your life. That's not going to move them towards curiosity. <laughs> um, and, and, so, and yet at the same time, so I share this with you, that mm -hmm. that is a journey and yeah. that you have to meet them in a specialized way, but that doesn't mean they become a project that you're trying to move. And that's why I like this verse in First Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul says, I was bold. Uh, you know, brothers, here I'll read it off the screen. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you this gospel in the face of strong opposition. So, one, I think for many of us, we need to remember that that the gospel is good news, and we do need to dare to share it. We do need to share it with people. And, and there is conflict. 
we have conflict all around us. But he goes on and he says, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you, not from anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as nursing mother cares for her children, as we cared for you, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Seems appropriate verse on Mother's Day. Didn't yeah. plan that, but there you go. The, um, <laughs> the idea that we would so love the people that we're journeying with, as a mother <laughs> loves their nursing child, that we would so love them that we would share not only the gospel boldly, but also our very life. Um, I have a, a good friend who, whose father just passed away last week, and um, one of his childhood friends came to the funeral to support him and was so moved by the testimony uh, of God's faithfulness in their family's life and that uh, this, this friend's father believed in Jesus and was now face-to-face -face with the Lord, was so moved by that. The whole experience was so moving. He was like, I'm intrigued. I'm, I'm curious. I've known you for a long time. I trust you. What you're saying seems real. I'm curious. And so they had a conversation, and he said, you know, I'm going to, I love you so much. I'm going to share this stuff about Jesus with you because it, he changes my life daily. He is changing my life. And I love you too much not to share it with you. But I also need you to know, if you decide that this isn't for you, I still love you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I just thought that was a great way of opening the conversation. And um, this fellow's on a journey, um, and he's he's wrestling with 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 Jesus, <laughs> and um, so yeah, that's you. There's no there's no substitute for these two things: boldness in God to share the good news, and love for people. You just people ask me all the time, "What's the secret to evangelism?" It's like, <laughs> your mouth and ask questions and talk about how Jesus is changing your life and you need to do it with the fullness of love and there's really one of my friends says evangelism is just being 10% more friendly there you go. <laughs> just, well I think it answers kind of this other question we had talked about were uh, how as Christians are we to engage in society today and we really talked about you really taught me that uh, listening is loving so in order to listen to someone is actually loving them in this process and uh, understanding that. And uh, there's a verse in James that kind of really hit me on this. Uh, is that just 119, which says, Dear brothers and sisters, take note for this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And I think often in today's society, we try to flip those and we will speak first and then you listen to me or whatever. And uh, I'm curious, as, a, as an American living in Canada, <laughs> and where politics seems to dominate the newsreel, <laughs> How do you navigate the, the, the challenge that often the, the conversation around faith starts <laughs> and often ends in the political arena? How do you, um, how do you navigate that? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, coming from a uh, background where it's not unusual to have um, a politician stand in a pulpit and uh, proclaim his uh, voting record um, to allow you, that it's... It's different in the way that um, 
I've had to learn, so being an evangelical in the US and being an evangelical in Canada has shifted me personally, um, that maybe we should look deeper into scripture first before we actually just start hating, I guess is the best term. I think about Trump in the US right now and the discord there is. Um, I think even here, like there's this kind of Alberta versus Trudeau mentality at the moment. Um, and we can't seem to get along, which is hard for me. Um, it, it didn't probably always used to be, but it is kind of now. I think about Edmonton. Uh, you have a premier now who is a, a conservative, right? Uh, but Edmonton voted NDP for the most part. So how do we as believers engage our, our neighbors who are different than us and not in a kind of hatred way, right? Like we could actually have a civil conversation and disagree to disagree. So um, I don't know, do you think that's possible? It's Mother's Day. Do you agree with everything your mother has ever said or did? <laughs> well, uh, it's Mother's Day, so I think I have to. <laughs> I wasn't where I thought you were. <laughs> I mean, when you think uh, we don't agree, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't agree with everything our parents have ever said or did or lived. Mm -hmm. But we love them, mm -hmm. generally, hopefully. <laughs> and so absolutely it's possible to love somebody you disagree with. Yeah, and I think we as Christians should be the example of that kind of um, shift in the ideology, right? Um, what we post on Facebook, what we tell other people, those kind of things. Yeah, you might have somebody that aligns better with your values as you vote, but that doesn't mean that your neighbor should um, be hated, right? Um, we should get to a place where we can actually have a discourse where we actually should even pray for our leaders, right? Um, I think scripture is pretty clear on um, a lot of this. In First Peter, it says, show respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, and honor the emperor. Um, and in Romans 13, 1, it says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. If we believe that God is who he says he is, he knows exactly what's happening. He knows exactly who got voted. He knows all of those things. And it's all in his timing anyway. So it doesn't mean that you still don't exercise your right to vote and those kinds of things, but we can have some very interesting conversations. Maybe you find that neighbor that you might not necessarily agree with on a lot of things and have a conversation. And ask them lots of questions. Ask them lots of why questions. Why did you vote that way? Or yeah. What, uh, what what caused you to? It's 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 seeking to understand and and to that, that word empathy. I think is is um, yeah, I don't know if you've seen the intact commercials where they put their new employees through empathy training. They're brilliant ads, <laughs> I think. And um, uh, uh, Daniel Pink says that empathy will be the most marketable skill in this next generation that um, it's the thing that most employers are looking for is because they have a diverse workforce and they want employees who know how to get along with people that disagree with each other. And, and it's the thing that maybe because of social media, I don't have mm -hmm. a PhD in this, but my sense is that <laughs> social media and the algorithms that control it tend to polarize us. And so we get better and better. At, you know, everyone's equipped with a megaphone to shout their opinions at one another and very few people are listening. And so how do we, we kind of recapture 
that skill of, of listening to people, ha having empathy and understanding um, the experiences behind the information <laughs> sometimes. So everything that I read that I don't agree with isn't fake news? <laughs> it's not always fake oh, news. Oh, okay. So That's good to know. I don't know. I've, I've climbed off social media in the last little while. So um, it's just... Uh, that that ability to 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 have empathy, to listen, to ask good questions, to to respond doesn't mean that you give up your values, your beliefs, your sense of right and wrong. It's um, uh, and and if you have the platform, if you've listened well, it gives you the platform to share your beliefs. Because invariably, here's one thing I used to, when I was on planes a lot, I would I had <laughs> this rule: I would only ask questions until the person beside me asked the question. And so, y you only ask questions. You just ask questions. Well, well, what do you do? Like, as you get into a person's life, eventually that does inspire curiosity, and that's the switch between trust and curiosity. Okay. Once they've, once they feel heard, they trust you. Then they become curious. They're curious in you, and what you believe, because now that you've gained their trust, okay. and you gain that trust by listening. So it's, it's ask questions, ask questions, and and then at some point they will say, well. What about you? Depending on the length of the flight, sometimes that never happened. But generally, <laughs> between here and Toronto, I, four hours was enough <laughs> to, to get them to flip. To have that conversation. Yeah. So anyway, that's just. So what would you say the kind of the key takeaway is this morning as we walk out into the world and, and that kind of a thing? Like, what should we be doing as Christians? What, what is the shift maybe we need to make in ourselves or um, the world has shifted around us? Um, kind of where, wha what's the number one thing Sean would say, hey, you should think about doing this and then if it doesn't work, you yeah, should I'd, I'd say learn to, to you. learn to listen. Okay. Learn to listen not only to others but also to the Lord. Okay. And I would say if, if you, you know, Mark talks about space and place. Uh, Heather talks about journaling. I'm, I'm just finally starting to do that more in my life and it's been revolutionary even just in the last couple of weeks just having that discipline of of journaling and listening to myself and to the lord <laughs> allowing the lord to interact with me and um it's i ask myself three simple questions lord what are you can i recognize what you're doing in my life god is at work in your life and the fun thing about christianity is that we serve a living god and he is at work in your life he is changing your life and people want to know about that and so, as your life has changed, can you can you recognize what God is doing and then thank Him for it? Uh, maybe He's convicting you of sin. Maybe He's calling you to something new. Maybe He's uh, uh, maybe He's teaching you something. What is He doing in your life? Can you recognize it? Name it, and then connect that to the gospel. So recognize, and then I try and remember, okay. remember the gospel. How does the death, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus relate to that? Because it always does. It just takes a little bit of time and energy to make the connection. And once you've made the connection, then ask the Lord, how would you have me respond? So recognize, remember the gospel, and then respond in faith. And um, as we discipline ourselves to do that on a daily basis, then we have something to share with people when they ask us, well, is life really better with Jesus? And we'll say, yeah, today he's doing this in my life. And it's connected to his death and resurrection. And then this is how it's working itself out. And they're like, oh, that's neat. Maybe okay. that is better. <laughs> there we go.
So uh, I want to thank Sean for the opportunity to ask him lots of questions and delve into his brain and uh, that kind of thing. Um, today, uh, if you do have prayer, if you would like prayer after service, there will be people down over here. Um, ladies, as you exit today, uh, you will get a flower, um, just a way of saying thank you for Mother's Day. And uh, on the way out, you can also stay for potluck, even if you didn't bring anything, we'd love for you to do that. You join me in uh, a moment of prayer before we uh, are done today. Lord, we just thank you for who you are and how great you are, that uh, we can learn and grow in you, Lord, that we can learn and listen to you and listen to our neighbors and our friends, Lord, that uh, we may have opportunities to, to share the gospel after we have listened. And, uh, Father, I just thank you for all the mothers again in here and all those who are mothers to each one of us and uh, in many ways. And so, Lord, may you just bless that today. And uh, I just thank you in Christ's name.